Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. My name's Pete. This episode features an interview with Vino and Sheba, who work for the World Toilet Board in New Delhi, India. It's coming to you a little later than planned because I shuffled the order of the series to bring you the last episode about how to respond to inflation and the fuel crisis. We've also moved out of the caravan and into a new house in the last couple of weeks, so I've been crazy busy moving furniture and unpacking boxes. Everything seems to be sorted now, and we should be back on schedule to release our future episodes on the 3rd, 13th and 23rd of each month, as I originally planned. This is the third episode in my mini-series about the wider sanitation debate, and it's the first of two that will look at sanitation entrepreneurs. Well, this one is actually about an organisation that exists purely to help entrepreneurs in the sanitation space to grow their businesses and expand their reach. The Toilet Board Coalition works with businesses, investors and governments to upscale market-based solutions to universal access to sanitation while strengthening efforts around climate change, biodiversity, public health and gender equality. The Coalition has pioneered a shift towards a new approach to the sanitation economy and they aim to harness the valuable resources and information within sanitation systems and build on innovative business models and strategic collaborations to provide sustainable sanitation products and services to everyone, everywhere. That's really aligned with my goals for the podcast. So I met with Vinu and Sheba to talk about their work last month. Really great to have you on Get Flushed. So welcome. Thank you, Pete. You're both in India. I am in India and I'm in Delhi. In Delhi. Oh, okay. And what about you? I'm in New Zealand. Oh, nice. I've heard so much about New Zealand and it's very high on my travel list. Well, we've got quite a good cricket team. <laughs> you do, yes. And we saw that quite recently. Do you play? Everyone plays cricket in India, right? Yeah, I've, I've got a lot of Indian friends and they're all cricket mad. But I don't play well, so I mean, I can hold a bat and hit the ball, but that's about it. I mean. No, that's two of us. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Sheba, how are you? Hi, hi. I'm good, how are you? I'm excellent, lovely to meet you. Welcome to uh, the podcast. Thank you. I'm not going to speak, I was just here to listen to you guys. Sheba, you've got to say at least hello. <laughs> Yeah, Shiba, come on. You've got to speak. <laughs> I try and make it as relaxing for you as possible. Some people get really frightened because we're talking and we're recording. But honestly, please, just a chat between you and me. We're friends now. I'm in New Zealand. You're in India. Vino, it's probably easiest if you explain your role first, I think, because a lot of listeners um, to the podcast probably won't have heard of the Toilet Board Coalition. So should we start perhaps with an overview of the organisation first? Toilet Board Coalition was set up in 2016 and the concept was to accelerate market-based approaches to sanitation so that everyone might have access to and not just sanitation but also access to sustainable treatment that uh, agrees with circular economy principles, you know, that makes the whole sanitation value chain sustainable and environment friendly. So, uh, Toilet Board Coalition was, uh, was set up to bring uh, access and sustainable treatment to communities through market-based approaches. The context was that on one hand, we had these really, really time-intensive, resource-intensive, conventional sanitation solutions. And on the other hand, you know, we had public finance, which was falling short of what was needed to bring sanitation and treatment to all. 
And in that context, it was felt that market-based approaches could actually accelerate this process. So was the organization set up in India, Venu? So Toilet Board Coalition is a global coalition. We have a thriving India program as well. But Toilet Board Coalition uh, is a global organization. It supports entrepreneurs in over 12 countries across three continents, Asia, Africa, Latin America. And even our members who run Toilet Board Coalition come from different parts of the world, from different approaches to sanitation uh, from the world. And do you know how the coalition is funded, Vino? It's not a government initiative, is it? It's not a government initiative. Uh, I mean, Toilet Board makes it sound a little bit like uh, as if it's a government organization. But it's a not-for-profit organization registered in Geneva, Switzerland. And how we are funded is through a membership model. So financial institutions, corporate bodies pay us an annual membership fee that keeps us running. The steering committee, where all the members sit, meets every quarter. We are able to give them not only the program updates every quarter, but also receive guidance from them on how to steer the program, uh, etc., for maximum impact, as well as to achieve our goal of uh, accelerating the sanitation economy. My understanding of it is that you help entrepreneurs to set up their own sanitation businesses to meet local demand. You're not going in and building sewers and you're not building sanitation plants. You're helping people help themselves to deal with their sanitation issues on the ground. Absolutely. That's absolutely correct, Pete. Uh, I would say that uh, there are many entrepreneurs already doing uh, wonderful things in their communities, uh, even looking to expand beyond their communities. And so the Toilet Board Coalition acts as a supporter to the entrepreneurs. We feel that uh, entrepreneurs are very quick to innovate. Uh, They bring innovative uh, technologies. In some cases, even business model itself is an innovation in sanitation. And uh, when we pair them up with large corporates who sit on our steering committee, when we provide them that kind of mentorship, it just brings both innovation and scale together because large organizations are so used to operating at scale and entrepreneurs are so good at innovation. And so through our program, uh, the idea is to bring them together because what we really need for sanitation is not simply innovation, but innovation at scale. And can you give us an an idea of that scale? I know you mentioned the 12 countries. How many people does that involve in terms of the number of entrepreneurs? And then I I don't, don't know whether you know this, but how many people have you made a difference to sanitation for? So we did an impact survey. We do a quarterly impact survey uh, with our uh, with our accelerator cohort, and uh, so far uh, we've supported and are currently supporting about fifty four entrepreneurs who operate in twelve countries. Like I said, in our last impact report, which was released in September of two thousand twenty one. We realized that uh, these 54 entrepreneurs are actually making a difference to one and a half million people every day through either access to sanitation, access to sustainable treatment, uh, etc. So we're very proud of supporting them in this uh, endeavor. That's absolutely amazing. One and a half million people a day. And and can you give us a, a flavor of the type of initiatives that you've supported? So if you look at the sanitation value chain, Pete, uh, you'll see that it starts from a simple toilet. Uh, The toilet could be a dedicated household toilet 
or it could even be a public toilet or a community toilet, uh, which is a shared toilet space. Onwards from that point, there are now decentralized treatment technologies, which are proving to be a really cost-effective, time-effective alternative to laying down sewers and sewer lines, uh, etc. So we have the toilet access as one big piece where most of our entrepreneurs focus. Then onwards from there, there is decentralized sanitation, either through biologic methods of biodegradation or through thermal methods. Idea is to bring waste treatment on site rather than having the waste travel a couple of miles. Yeah, that makes a lot of difference. As you said, you don't have to build sewers. You don't have to have all of that plumbed infrastructure. There's quite a number of initiatives where they're actually using human waste as a nutrient or a fuel source. So it's not waste, is it? It's the wrong term. It's a product that we can use if we find the right technology. Absolutely. That's absolute music to our ears, Pete. I think we call it resource recovery or we call it nutrient recovery because from waste, it's now possible to generate energy. It's possible to recover organic compost, which is so much required now for our food security. It's also possible to create multiple, multiple uh, other products, uh, you know, like biofuels and insect feed, etc., which the community can also use. I think the ultimate scenario will be that for each community, there will be a waste treatment solution from which byproducts and out- output products can result, which go back into enriching the community and helping the community economically and, and otherwise. And as well as improving the economic welfare of the community, you're actually improving their health by a huge proportion, I imagine. There are multiple uh, effects when it comes to community. I mean, not only does it affect immediately their hygiene, but as you rightly said, I think it affects in a very positive way their health. Uh, The UNICEF estimates that uh, each dollar that is spent on health in communities results in an income which is around $4.3 or unlocks an economic income of 4.3. So there's a huge multiplier there. Huge multiplier, yeah. I think the general dignity of a community, you know, that has safe and sustainable sanitation, I mean, that's a huge positive that we see. I mean, in some areas, we've seen really, really wonderful sanitation facilities which are not only sustainable, but also economically viable and and communities can't believe that, you know, these facilities are for them to use. And so it's really heartening to see, you know, how sanitation access can have so many multiple effects on communities. As well as providing the toilets and dealing with, let's call it the resource, recovering the resource or the waste, are you involved in the provision of clean water as well? Is that part of the toilet board's work? You know, while our focus is sanitation, but obviously water and sanitation cannot be separated. You know, they go hand in hand. And so I think it the business case for clean water is also tightly linked to the business case for sanitation. So if you can imagine a public toilet or a community toilet uh, that's serving unserved communities, then uh, one of the revenue streams, uh, you know, that can be really, really stable and income-yielding could also be provision of safe water to communities. I've got to ask you this question, Vino. How on earth did you get involved? (laughs) 
that's an interesting story so my background uh, i mean i started off my journey as being an entrepreneur first in the logistics space and then uh, you know i worked within the investment space and growing up in india and and living in india i did feel a strong tug uh, that unless we solve some basic problems you know it's not possible to move forward in the way that we want to i mean india was projecting double digit economic growth rates and i just felt that if 20% or 30% of india does not have basic services does not have the basic infrastructure the basic facilities we are not going to get there for those kind of growth rates and for the world to grow i think everyone has to join in that thought was going on in my mind and then then i met the ceo of toilet board coalition uh, and at that time they were looking for an accelerator director and i happened to meet her and and um, <laughs> i think that meeting sort of closed the chapter for me and i said you know i have to get involved in this so your current role then you're director of the accelerator program in india Yeah well I joined in that role uh, in 2018 now I am uh, the managing director uh, at Toilet Board Coalition and I look after accelerator investments and the India program as well And can you describe for us please Venu how the accelerator program works So the accelerator program is a one year program uh, during which uh, we help uh, sanitation SMEs who are looking to now scale up with three kinds of support we provide them access to investment obviously that's the fuel that will help them scale up uh, we also provide them support on business model design which is where me and my team uh, you know spend every week some time uh, with the entrepreneurs through the year uh, but we also provide them corporate mentorship through our corporate members uh, in the steering committee and the corporate members are able to do a very surgical mentorship on one or the other gaps that they see uh, on scalability i mean it if it's a product development gap then they will work solely on on resolving that gap if it's an institutional functional gap like marketing finance etc then they will work more focused there so we provide uh, that kind of support and uh, and i think for us a good outcome is i mean my favorite way of measuring the outcome is that all the accelerators at the end of the year should look back and feel like they've been accelerated you know but i think one uh, positive outcome for us is to see strategic partnerships between smes and large corporates grow you know that can unlock access to sanitation uh, in a faster more efficient uh, way so my feeling is that you're not doing this to the entrepreneurs you're very much doing it with them you're supporting them educating nurturing putting them in contact with the people who can make other things happen and it sounds such a strong program i noticed from the website applications are currently open aren't they for the 2022 round so applications are just about to be open uh, you know i think uh, usually we open them on 15th february uh but that is not to say i mean entrepreneurs uh, we keep receiving wonderful emails from entrepreneurs uh, you know about the work <laughs> that they are doing and we encourage them to apply to the program as soon as the applications are open is it worth putting a plug in to maybe encourage people who might listen to the podcast to apply what's the process venu the process is that uh, february 15 the applications open 
and they remain open for a period of about three months. So typically around April 15th, we would close the applications. Uh, once all the application pool is, uh, is received, uh, we then look at our selection process, uh, which involves doing a first review of the application pool. We typically receive about 150 applications each year. And um, we then do a first review and, and find out applications that fit our uh, program requirements. And then uh, subsequent uh, reviews, uh, two another rounds of reviews happen with our steering committee. So if we present them a first shortlist, then a second shortlist, and then the steering committee gets involved in interviewing entrepreneurs. We set up a selection task force uh, drawn from our members. And where uh, essentially what we are trying to do is to identify a fit uh, between our members' priorities and the entrepreneurs' priorities. Because once they have a fit, once they identify a fit or they identify an alignment, I think that we've seen uh, lays a strong foundation for mentorship on both ends. Because a mentorship is a process, we believe, in which both the parties should feel like they're gaining from the process. The selection process goes on all the way from May or June all the way till November. And November 19th is World Toilet Day, uh, which <laughs> you can imagine must be an important day for us. And that's when we announce our uh, cohort for the subsequent uh, year. Well, it sounds a really thorough process, but you actually achieve a lot of success once you partner up and you push people through and you work with people through the Accelerator program. Yes, we do. And uh, I would say our accelerators uh, very frequently tell us about the impact that the program has had on their success. In many ways, uh, you know, they feel that they have a clear scalability roadmap. They get access to investments. They build relationships that endure even after the program. Of course, our support also endures after the program. Uh, the family just becomes bigger and bigger. You know, we, we are just one family. And then um, I think that they also unlock a lot of uh, connections through our steering committee, through our partnership council. Uh, I would say that we are in touch with the global, really strategic community uh, that's working towards sanitation access for all. I imagine you've unearthed some really great learnings as a result of that program and the people you've partnered with. I bet the compendium of knowledge within the World Toilet Board Coalition now is absolutely vast. Once you, you start these types of programs and they become successful, it just perpetuates and multiplies on its own. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, through the Investment Council, we deliver uh, that knowledge to investors globally. And we tell them that, you know, sanitation SMEs need these kind of products, these kind of investment solutions. And so last year, we, we realized that asset management is a solution that sanitation entrepreneurs really need. Because what they are doing is financing 15-year assets with three-year loans. And that's not sustainable at all. I mean, that really, really burdens their uh, profit and loss. So we brought that knowledge to our investment council and this year, or last year rather, in 2021, a group of investors piloted an asset management uh, instrument in India for sanitation, which uh, will now be also implemented in Africa. And similarly, uh, we also take out an accelerator learnings report 
which we share with our members are anonymized learnings, but very broad learnings that can help them tweak their own strategies so that better support can be provided to entrepreneurs. The question from those, has the program been affected by the pandemic at all? Have you been able to keep up the momentum despite all of the lockdowns and the border closures? There's been uh, both good and bad news on that front. I mean, uh, obviously, where there were geographic lockdowns, we were impacted because all the operations were impacted. But I think the sort of silver lining has been that COVID pandemic has served as a kind of global communication campaign on hygiene. So wherein for communities, you know, you would have to design behavioral change programs to embed, you know, better hygiene practices. I think COVID has underlined for everyone, I would say, throughout the world uniformly. I absolutely agree. It's been a global occurrence. It's not just one or two countries. Everybody has woken up to the fact that hygiene is absolutely vital to ongoing public health. It's not something you can do one day and not the next. It has to be constant. And we've all learned that through the, the pandemic. Absolutely. And in fact, that has unlocked uh, quite a bit of latent demand for sanitation business models. Because earlier, the typical process would be that you open, let's say, a sanitation center in a community, then you've got to run some behavior change programs, etc. in that community for a couple of months. I think now uh, there is an organic demand that's gotten unlocked because of COVID. And so we've not seen much of COVID-related slide that many other sectors would have seen. There's an enormous amount of resilience that sanitation businesses have. It's really important that we tell listeners how they can find out about the Toilet Board Coalition. And if there's anybody out there who's running a business and they want to join the Accelerator Programme or apply, where's the best place for them to find that information and proceed with their application? They can visit our website. It's www.toiletboard.org. They can visit the website. Uh, We have a LinkedIn group you know, which is Toilet Board Coalition Entrepreneurs Group. Uh, They can join that group. All the important updates regarding our work, regarding application, dates, etc. are on the website as well as on on the LinkedIn group. Also on the website, they'll find an email ID which they can uh, write to us uh, and typically we respond within a day or two. So I I think they, they can reach us. Uh, we are all available on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Shiba is on LinkedIn as well. And if you're a sanitation entrepreneur, we, we are absolutely waiting to hear from you and how we can support you. Are there any particular countries that you are focusing on or is it genuinely, uh, if, if anyone's anywhere in the world, they can get in touch and see whether or not there's something to do together? Uh, anyone, anywhere in the world, most welcome to apply to the program. Obviously, we want to see the program, uh, you know, be well entrenched in multiple geographies uh, where sanitation access is uh, a big issue. And from that uh, perspective, we do uh, analyze where our footprint is and where are the gaps in our footprint. And so we do make an extra effort to reach out uh, to certain geographies where we want to uh, have the program be present. Jackson made this point to me when I interviewed him. He said that everybody is a sanitation expert because we, we all go to the bathroom every day. 
and there's nobody who's not affected by sanitation issues. So you, you're in a growth industry and, you know, you definitely do have a global audience, don't you? We do. Uh, I mean, large parts of the world uh, do not have access to sanitation. Large markets exist uh, where people are not being served sanitation services, where the products are not in place. So it's a, it's a really, really a global, I would say, opportunity for us to do something that impacts the entire globe. Um, and I think um, just from your remark earlier, Pete, on, on what Jack said, I would say that that's one of the most attractive features of a sanitation business is that it's perhaps the only business in the world that meets its customers every day, you know, and maybe multiple times a day. I mean, no other business can perhaps claim uh, that kind of, uh, you know, customer interaction. It's absolutely fundamental to welfare and health and prosperity. There's no two ways about that. When I started the podcast, people said to me, well, nobody will be interested in a podcast about restrooms. But, but the truth is everybody's interested. And I was surprised myself and I was so glad to, to see that your podcast is focused on sanitation. But equally surprised because uh, you're right, sanitation is not really the glamorous and very mainstream <laughs> uh, activity. No, and, and quite often people think it's a comedy show, but it's not. It's a serious business podcast, and, and this is a serious issue. And, and, you know, you talk about there are large parts of the world which don't have a proper sanitation infrastructure, but equally there are countries such as New Zealand and the UK and America and part, other parts of Europe where they've had a long-established sewer network, but they're all starting to fail because they're all over 100 years old. And we have countless episodes in New Zealand where rivers or streams or the beaches are closed because we've had a, a septic waste spill, an effluent spillage, because the system's either broken or it's overloaded. I know Fergal Sharkey is um, running a huge campaign on Twitter to call out the water companies in the UK because they're dumping raw sewage into rivers and streams. And it, it just shouldn't be happening anywhere in the world but especially not in a, um, a modern economy where we're supposed to have the top gold standard of sewer networks. It just goes to show we, nobody can sit back, you know, rest on their laurels and take this lightly and pretend that they've actually finished the sanitation challenge because it's ongoing everywhere, Vinu. You're absolutely right. Even developed countries are now facing a kind of uh, infrastructure renewal challenge. Those sewers were originally developed during the Victorian era and, um, and definitely changed the world. Plumbed underground sewers that contained the waste. That was revolutionary, groundbreaking. But I think we're at a moment in history now where we've realised that there are actually other viable alternatives that don't cost as much as plumb sewers. And it's fantastic that organisations like yours are exploring those and helping people to implement them at ground level. I think in, in many contexts, we've seen that uh, decentralized sanitation can be one-tenth the cost of traditional sewerage. It can be deployed 50 times faster than, you know, you, you can first try to accumulate land rights and then dig sewers and then do the civil work needed to get a sewer network for a community. Uh, you can deploy a decentralized treatment plant for a community inside of one month. Uh, I mean, people have implemented a plant in one month. 
for infrastructure. That's fast by any standard, isn't it? The accelerator program. So the criteria for entry to that is that the company has to be already be in business. It's not for startups. They have to be currently operating, and the purpose is to help them grow and expand. Is that correct? Yes. the The typical accelerator for us is is a company that's already that already has a tested product in the market. And so the problem before them is not the market acceptance of the product, but the uh, the challenge is how do they go from 100 customers to 100,000 customers? You know, how do they scale up their footprint? And I think that's a key challenge for sanitation as well. The challenge is that we need to quickly cover the gap uh, between the uh, people who have sanitation and who don't have. And there's a big gap in the world today uh, more than 70% people do not have access to C1 networks and I think more than 2 billion people still around the world do not have access to safe sanitation. So it's, it's a huge gap and scalability is key. It's not just the sanitation aspect dealing with the effluent. You mentioned the word safe sanitation. It's somewhere that's secure and private and for women and, and young people especially, it's a safe place for them to go to the bathroom, isn't it? That's really important. It is, it is. When I first spoke to Jack, I had a real epiphany because until then, I'd looked at portable restrooms as an industry, as a convenience, that we deploy plastic cabins when there is no infrastructure and it's either a construction job or it's in a remote location or a temporary event. And when I spoke to Jack, he said, you know, Pete, you, you're losing sight of the fact that there are many places in the world that do not have sanitation facilities full stop. And it's not a convenience, it's a necessity, it's not a luxury, it's an actual, you know, this should be one of your basic human rights. You, you should have access to a safe place to go to the bathroom in private. And that's really important to get that message across, I think, especially for the female listeners. Absolutely. And I think that you've made a very, very good point because even within the population that do not have access to sanitation, the women segment is really more fragile in that sense because for them having a private dignified sanitation is even more important. And I think it, it also brings a broader context on economic freedom, economic empowerment. I mean, we, see, we saw through a project in India that, uh, you know, while we want women to join mainstream and to become economically empowered, do participate equally in economic activity, we just do not have the social infrastructure to give them the courage to do so. So many women, I, I would assume, would not even venture uh, much out of their homes simply because there is no social infrastructure for them to support uh, their economic ambitions. So yeah, I think that's a that's an even more uh, sensitive point. It's one worth making because we take it for granted in westernised countries where we do have generally a fairly reasonable network of public restrooms especially and that every home has a bathroom. We sometimes ignore the fact that not everybody does have that advantage. They really don't. I would say that, you know, the whole mindset to sanitation is shifting a little bit. There is more innovation. There is a greater, I would say, ambition within the global community to see that sanitation access is, is brought to everyone. 
climate change is forcing us to to really think in terms of the circular economy principles they are no longer a choice but more an urgent need and so i think uh, all these forces are really uh, on, on creating a very compelling context uh, i think if earlier people would say that access to sanitation is good uh, now that good has been attached also with urgent that you know it's it's now urgent it's not simply good and then you know it's good to have but it's it's good to have and it should happen now i think that urgency is now added to sanitation and um, and i think that we are seeing increasingly also a role of technology here in bringing sanitation access to everyone uh, within our cohort we see artificial intelligence we see cloud we see robotics uh, and all these uh, seem to be very fancy sort of technologies uh, but they are being deployed to bring sanitation value uh, right at the grassroots i mean there are companies working at uh, working on the area of uh, analyzing sewage analyzing waste for any health markers you know that could give early warning about health problems in a community jack talked about that when i spoke to him he said that he'd seen restrooms that took a urine sample and measured it for glucose to detect diabetes and that they could take stool samples and detect blood and other irregularities that might be an indicator of bowel problems and it's fairly common across the world that the um, authorities are testing sewage for traces of covid it's definitely a, a high technology industry and we see technologies that work in public toilets community toilets that do self cleaning for example that you know nudge people to do hand washing uh, you know have some emergency user features as well and i think it's good to see those technologies being deployed right at the grassroots for these solutions fundamental to all of that is that we're actually allowed to talk about sanitation in polite conversation these days and jack's been a really instrumental part in that he's used humor to to put sanitation onto the table so that it's a a legitimate subject when i first started the podcast I had a few people say oh you know you can't talk about that you you're talking about going to the bathroom but actually i've had so many fabulous conversations with people and we've all got over the embarrassment and the nastiness but people have generally warmed to the conversation really well and everyone's interested in it because as we said earlier we're all affected by this yeah i think that's a great point i think it's become quite normal to talk about sanitation and, and <laughs> you know <laughs> toilets and waste and treatment and all shiba did you want to come back in are you still there yeah yeah i'm there i was listening throughout Oh, it's lovely to have you on. Would you like to say a few words about your role with the board? Yeah, sure. I handle the communications and community engagement strategies of TBC Global and also India programs. I it's been almost say uh, one year now at TBC, and uh, what I do is I handle uh, content on a website, manage content on our social media. We're there on LinkedIn and Twitter, and hopefully we'll be uh, you know. expanding our presence on other social media channels as well i engage with the entrepreneurs uh, in india and try to uh, engage with entrepreneurs abroad as well so yeah and shiva what do your friends and family say when you tell them that you work for the toilet board coalition 
See, uh, I'd say the stigma is still there uh, when I tell. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I when I told that I, I started working with this organization called Toilet Boat Collision. The moment they heard the word toilet, it 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 sounded funny to them. But when later on, when I whenever I explain the kind of work we do, our accelerator programs and how we are empowering other sanitation businesses, then then they realize that okay, this is something serious. I'd say that this, uh, you know, uh, the stigma around that people feel it's 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 an un- uncomfortable conversation around anything around toilets. Well, you've coped with it really well today. <laughs> We're not embarrassed. Vito's definitely not embarrassed, and I'm not embarrassed. But um, I think you're right. A lot, a lot of people still do carry that stigma, and. You know, I think we're all doing our part to try and break that down. I love your website. You've got some really great information on there and you use a lot of different mediums. So there were videos, there were written documents. It, it, I would encourage all the listeners just to check you out and have a look at some of the stuff you've shared because it's really, really good stuff. Yes, of course. We're, we're there on YouTube as well. And in the this year and the coming years, hopefully we'll try to have more videos and interact with our entrepreneurs, uh, current cohort and all the previous cohort about their experience and how our accelerators has helped them to scale the businesses and how they're contributing um, through their businesses towards the planet. So, yeah, we'll be coming up with more content like that. Just in terms of the overall accelerator program, do you know how many people have gained employment as a result of the work you've done, Vino? Do you keep a count of how many jobs has it created? We don't have that data right now, but uh, but that's a very interesting point, uh, Pete, that you mentioned, because uh, we are working on the livelihoods potential of sanitation this year, uh, because we feel that uh, sanitation livelihoods have two or three key features. One is that they are recession-proof, so these livelihoods will likely be very resilient. You know, they will not, uh, you know, go anywhere in the future. Uh, there's no virtual way to deliver sanitation. It's a hands-on role. <laughs> <laughs> you need physical. Yeah. The second is that because there's a new sector shaping up, they, it will promise a lot of upward mobility in livelihoods as well. You know, today's toilet uh, operators can hope to be tomorrow's toilet supervisors and then they can be regional operation managers, etc. There's a lot of upward mobility in this uh, livelihoods. And and I think that as companies grow and they look at serving communities, uh, these livelihoods will become almost uh, sort of micro-entrepreneurs from that community working in partnership Uh, with companies bringing the community intelligence uh, to companies and their business models, uh, etc. So there is definite need for spotlight there because lots of livelihoods uh, are not only being created by sanitation, but uh, the way sanitation accelerates and, and the huge gap that exists, I think it's going to be a phenomenal livelihood opportunity in the years to come. Yeah, I think you're right. One of the questions I get asked quite a lot is, how do I become a restroom operator? So I have a lot of listeners in America and quite a few have emailed me. And at the end of the last season, I talked about routes into business, buying an existing company or starting from scratch. There's a new company called Next Gen Sanitation launching in America, and they're developing a franchise model for restroom operators. And it's going to be really interesting. It's common in Europe. There's a company called Toy Toy, which is a franchisee model. 
So the, the local operator owns their territory, but they're part of the bigger national group. And it'll be really interesting to see how NextGen unfolds in the US because it's not a model that's been deployed in America so far, the franchise model. I'll be talking with Curtis, who's launched that later in the season, but I'm really excited to see because it, it opens up another avenue into the industry to people who perhaps didn't have the capital to start from scratch or didn't have the understanding, but knew that they wanted to be involved we have also seen in India, we've seen transgender communities acted as micro-entrepreneurs and brought sanitation centers in their communities where they are now operating uh, within a micro-entrepreneurship uh, model, wherein uh, some financial support has been given from the government end for the micro-entrepreneur to make initial investments. Uh, but also the sanitation SME has provided training support and, you know, multiple other support to see that the micro-entrepreneur is able to operate efficiently. Uh, it sounds really exciting. I've really enjoyed chatting with you both, and it always makes me feel very warm inside that I know there are people in different parts of the world who share my passion and my enthusiasm and are working in the sanitation space as well. There's a real global family of sanitation specialists is how I describe it. And um, I feel very privileged that I'm part of that and that you've been able to come onto the show and share your story. So thank you both very much indeed for that. And thank you, Pete, uh, for this opportunity. We really, really enjoyed talking as well, highlighting about Toilet Board Coalition, about our accelerator program as well. And uh, we'd, be love to, we'd love to be back. You're very welcome. All the best. Bye. Bye. I said at the end of that interview that it was great to hear about initiatives that recognise the economic viability and social importance of proper sanitation. And I'd really encourage listeners to check out the Toilet Board's website. And if you're in business, why not apply for their Accelerator programme? Entries close on the 13th of April, so you've still got plenty of time to lodge your application. And I'll put a link in the notes. But you can find all the information you need on their website, toiletboard.org. I'll continue to focus on sanitation entrepreneurs in the next episode where I meet Cam Mystery, an inventor in the UK who's developed an innovative non-contact alternative to the traditional toilet brush. He calls it the shifter, that shifter with two Fs. OK, that's all for this week. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been finding out about the business of sanitation by listening to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast.